Welcome to the Mental Health Desk. Brandon here. The Mental Health Desk is here to provide news, updates, and information about anything related to mental health. The three P's, as I call them, will be the base of our content. Psychiatry, psychology, and policy. MHD will break down the latest medical journals. Professionals and doctors will be on the show to give insights, and those who go through mental health issues will be on the show to give real-life accounts of their experiences. So, let's get right into it. The MHD question of the day. Can we predict if a child will be a heavy drinker by adulthood? Well, maybe we can now. February 1st, 2017, a study published in the American Journal of Psychiatry had researchers looking into the top indicators for alcohol use by the age of 18. 137 children between the ages of 12 to 14 were examined until the age of 18 and then divided by different factors and variables in their lives. Initially, 97% of them had never tried alcohol, but by the end of the study, half of them became moderate to heavy drinkers. I know 137 kids is a small sample size and shouldn't really make you think, but why don't we look at some other studies to, look, to get some background. About two-thirds of teenagers in the US, according to the report, actually have used alcohol. And about three million teenagers between the ages of 14 to 17 have an alcohol problem. The legal drinking age, let me remind you, in the United States is actually 21. In fact, the only places you can drink at the age of 18 on the continent are three provinces in Canada and Mexico. So what were the top indicators? Being male is one, so you know, go team guy, team patriarchy, way to drink. Uh, that's not a good thing. Coming from a higher socioeconomic background was number two. Number three, dating by age 14, and then number four, positive expectations of the effects. So what's wrong with men since they're number one? Are, are we all just fatefully tied to the substance? Well, obviously not. There's much more to it than that. It is a well-known fact that men do drink more than women, and there are many reasons why. As I was doing some research, I pulled up an interesting article, a 2010 article published in the Journal of Biological Psychiatry, researchers found that dopamine is released at higher levels for men than women when consuming alcohol. Or in other words, men experience a larger dose of positive response to drinking. They feel better, they feel stronger, they basically feel more confident. A lot of guys, at least guys that I know, definitely get a lot more confident with the substance. Our brains are hardwired to seek pleasure. and. The call to drink again is stronger for men. This would make sense as to why more men have AUDs in the first place. But, you know, that study aside, that would all just be too simple, too general. Um, for example, let me read a small excerpt from the University of Maryland's Alcohol 101. Each of us have learned expectations about what alcohol is and what it does. Research has shown that men who have strong expectations that drinking will lead to social and physical pleasure and to sexual enhancement tend to drink more heavily. By contrast, women who tend to drink more heavily are most often those that believe that alcohol reduces tension. These differences in expectancies complicate the attempts to predict who drinks and how much. Differences in expectancies might lead to different drinking situations and set the stage for difficulties in communication. Even in these enlightened times, women who drink a lot meet with more disapproval of their drinking than do men. Women's behavior while intoxicated also tends to be met with more disapproval than the actions of their male companions. And the patriarchy strikes again. But well, we won't go into that right now. So men clearly can still get away with drinking more. But then doesn't this border on an issue of morality and not an actual affliction?
we will talk about alcohol as a moral issue instead of an actual disease, but that's for another episode. So more on the topic at hand, touching on the socioeconomic factors, which is the number two reason, a 2013 article published in the British Medical Journal, BMJ, uh, titled Socioeconomic Patterning of Excess Alcohol Consumption and Binge Drinking, a cross-sectional study of multi-level associations with neighborhood deprivation. Boy, these titles can be very long sometimes. <laughs> but uh, they basically looked at the difference between binge drinking and excessive alcohol consumption in lower socioeconomic status houses and higher socioeconomic status houses. Uh, houses. It's ridiculous. Anyway, but before I go into that, what's the difference between binge drinking and excessive alcohol consumption? So I tried to summarize it myself and I wasn't very good. So I got some information from Health and How Stuff Works with some added information from the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism and the Center of Disease Control and Prevention. And here's what they had to say. Binge drinking is actually more prevalent than alcoholism. It's the most common form of excessive alcohol consumption in the United States. The National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism defines binge drinking as a period of consumption in which a person's blood alcohol concentration reaches 0.08%. Remember, all 50 states have laws making it illegal to drive at that level. This means that five or more drinks in two hours for men and four or more for women would lead to the former and the latter binge drinking. More than half of the alcohol consumed in the United States is down in binges. And a fact that will come as no shock to anyone who's been to college, although maybe the CDC was just taking a shot there, because, you know, a lot of young people, we work hard, we don't drink and smoke and I'll stop. But uh, young people do the lion's share of binge drinking. It's most common among 18 to 34 year olds and a full 90% of the alcohol consumed by the under 21 crowd is binge drunk. Um, in fact, many of those who binge drink on the weekends could be perfectly fine getting through the week with no drinks at all. But although they might not qualify as alcoholics, uh, by definition, they'd certainly meet the criteria for heavy drinking possibly averaging the same number of drinks per week as many alcoholics, if not more. And even if a binge drinker doesn't suffer from the withdrawal symptoms or have a physical compulsion to drink every day, it's an unhealthy pattern that he or she might need assistance to break. So the AUD from binge drinking is, even though it's not the same, it's still classified as an AUD. Sorry, I, I should probably just repeat that. It's still an AUD in the sense, but they are two different cases. So... Although there are differences between binge drinking and alcoholism, there's also plenty of connection. They're both part of the same dangerous cycle of alcohol abuse. Binge drinkers and alcoholics have the same health problems and their habits cause relationship stress and harm their ability to work. And all too often, one leads to another. Looking at the differences between binge drinking and excessive alcohol consumption, um, after giving you that definition, the British Medical Journal uh, started to look into whether living in an area of low socioeconomic status would lead to excessive alcohol consumption. Uh, just to recap, the study was conducted in Wales and had a sample size of about 58,000 people, so it's a lot better than our 137 study for sure. Um, this is, the researchers found two interesting things. A higher risk of binge drinking was found in residents living in deprived neighborhoods, particularly in young and middle-aged men. And here we go, men, 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 men. Oh, man. 
higher risk of excess consumption but less than binge was found in residents of less deprived neighborhoods. So what do those two things mean? Well, basically, in a deprived or lower economic status neighborhood, you would most likely be binge drinking. In a higher socioeconomic status neighborhood, you would find a higher risk of excess consumption. So now we've gone from uh, mental health and substance abuse all the way to trying to connect the dots as to why different classes drink um, and binge or drink excessively. So let's try to touch a little bit more on the social aspect of it. Um, the study aligned with an older June 2007 study in the American Journal of Preventative Medicine that found higher neighborhood median incomes and income maldistribution were found to be associated with a greater likelihood of current individual alcohol use. So reiterating the question, why does a higher median income correlate to a higher likelihood of alcohol use? Well, I found a very, very interesting article by a... I just want to make sure I pronounce his name right. It's a Xiao Wen Hu of University of Kentucky and then C. Jill Stow, Stowe. Someone correct me if you can. But uh, both from the University of Kentucky. And the paper was called The Effect of Income on Health Choices, Specifically Alcohol Use. And it's an amazing uh, paper from 2013 that basically sums up a lot of the issues that surround socioeconomic status and alcohol use. So they found that the probability of drinking frequency increases with income, but the probability of binge drinking decreases. But as moderate drinking may be beneficial to health, that could have been another factor. Higher income is usually linked to higher socioeconomic status, which often requires more social activities involving alcohol consumption. Well, that does make sense. Definitely people who have the money to go out and have a few drinks and hang out will do so. Low-income individuals, they found, discount expected future utility and hence diminish the cost of reduced longevity. I know that sounds like a lot of jargon right now. Um, I can summarize that simply. If you are in a lower-income area, basically they are saying that they don't really consider how long they're going to live. Like, they're not trying to, you know, hey, I'm going to eat this or drink this because this will lead to me living longer. It's more I'm going to eat this or drink this or consume this because it's going to benefit me now. I'm going to feel good now and I I want to just basically experience that rush now and live shorter than, you know, be healthy. But, you know, I, I live in a lower income situation and my situation is not that great and I, I don't really feel the need to do this longer sorry for the little rant but it's it's hard to simplify something like that because it is definitely a sensitive thing to say we it's almost like accusing people of lower incomes of not trying to do better for themselves but this is a study and the scientists and researchers and doctors in any study are not politically engaged in targeting lower income uh, families or higher income families it's just these are the findings and there is some correlation. So I just want to clear that up. Um, going back to what they found, they also found that the consumption of alcohol in harmful amounts for a lower income person tends to be greater. They came to a whole bunch of other conclusions and 
although there was a, definitely a lot for them to talk about because they covered everything from like why people would drink alcohol in s different situations. They covered the relationship between healthy choices in neighborhood areas. But something struck me um, from their uh, conclusion, and I'll read this paragraph. Basically, consumption is positively correlated with household income, probably due to the fact that the higher the income usually indicates the higher the social status. And the higher the social status, of course, means that activities involving alcohol consumption will probably be likely done. Meanwhile, moderate alcohol intake is beneficial to health. Nonetheless, excessive alcohol use decreases as income increases. Interesting. Because we've just been talking about studies that have proved otherwise. But uh, this is a strong signal, they continue, that the low-income group discounts expected future utility and thus cuts back the cost of reduced longevity. Educational attainment affects alcohol consumption in a similar mechanism, something we didn't touch on. Being male, and men, 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 all over again, enhances the probability of binge drinking while the presence of children in households decreases the frequency of binge drinking. Well, it's good to know that uh, even though... You know, patriarchy strikes again. The binge drinking does decrease uh, in family situations. Better psychological condition, they continue, significantly reduces the probability of excessive alcohol consumption. Conversely, better physical health increases the binge drinking frequency. So it's weird that those last two sentences are better. So better physical health increases the binge drinking frequency. So... Yeah, I don't think I really have to break that down, but uh, that is a strange thing to leave off of. But where does all this information really leave us? Because, again, like I said, we did start talking about if we can predict whether a child will be a heavy drinker by adulthood. Well, we know that there's tons of variables now that really lead to whether alcohol misuse will happen, or heavy drinking will happen, or drinking at all in this case. So with knowing that there's so many things that can determine whether somebody at the even the age of 12 will become a drinker by 18 exist we have a couple questions that we can ask now and uh i like to leave off with questions so that you can ask things for yourself and try to figure out where to go with the information um, are there more cultural factors that affect males to consume alcohol we didn't really get to see studies from the eastern world or touch on things that weren't western dominated and i apologize for that um, it's just easier to get Western information, but I will work harder to get Eastern information whenever I can. If we know the variables around alcohol abuse, what policies or laws can help make a change, if any at all? So definitely, can we use health policy the same way that, uh, you know, for example, of health policy, we're talking about the legal drinking age? and how that changes things. Can we use health policy to make a change in alcohol abuse? And the last thing is knowing that there is a difference between the groups that binge drink and drink excessively, should we now deal with both problems separately? I think so. But uh, that's all for now. Thanks for listening. Tune in for the next episode where we talk about alcoholism and morality. I'm Brandon Stewart, and that was your mental health desk for today. You can follow this cast at mhealthdesk on Twitter, and you can follow my Twitter at healthbystu. We also post on Instagram at The Mental Health Desk, and you can follow the audio on SoundCloud by searching The Mental Health Desk MHD.